Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals all right, Carson, we're talking to the broke babe in a basement, right? <laughs> I love that name. Oh, I'm so honored to wear that title. I earned it. Yes. Hello. How did you earn this? I want to know how you earned this title. Well, I was the broke babe in a Bushwick basement on Troutman Street, to be exact. So I wrote a memoir about being a starving artist. And it's about the time that I was the brokest I've ever been. I never had more than $40 net worth to my name during this time. And I was hell bent on finishing my novel. And it was just the craziest year of my life and pretty much everything happened. So <laughs> the title just is just, it's a very simple, if it, I could summarize the story, broke babe in a basement. So the babe is a tribute to the girl I was living with at the time. I call her my stripper squatter friend. And she, we always called each other babe. She had an Aussie accent and babe. we always said babe. So that's what the, where the babe part comes in. I don't always feel like a babe. Sometimes yeah. I do. <laughs> so, okay. Take me through. I, I like details. Take me through okay. how this, this basement situation happened. Like how did you find out about this place to live? And mm. then how did the squatter come into play? Was this in the beginning or that just started happening over time? Okay. So I was living in my hometown of Binghamton, New York, and it's a nice enough town. It's a mid-sized city. I was 29 and I was a little bored. I was living at my mom's house and I decided I wanted an adventure. So I was like, let's move back to Brooklyn, but I'm so broke. How am I going to do it? So I looked on this website that I recommend. It's called workaway.info. And if you ever wanted to take an adventure, it's like they'll you, they'll put you up in a house or something and you can do in exchange for doing chores, like you could do farming in Sweden in exchange for room and board. And there happened to be one listing in Brooklyn and it was like move into my house and manage my um, uh, manage the house and like the Airbnb upstairs and you can live in the basement for a reduced rent of four hundred dollars. And I was like, well, I could probably make ends meet. Let's do that. So I very spontaneously said yes. And I was there and I was like, I ran out of all my money super fast because Brooklyn, it's, it's, there's nowhere better than to go broke than Brooklyn. Right. Like if you don't have money coming in, you're dead in like three days. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had, uh, being in the gypsy that I am, I had spent a year in France in 2012 and I reconnected with this girl I met one day on the beach and she was like, hey, I'm coming to town and my living situation fell through. Can I crash with you? <laughs> And it was one of those things where three months later, she was still there <laughs> Oh man! in my basement on an inflatable mattress beside me. So that's the long and short of it. And I couldn't get her out because we were very emotionally tied. It was just like that dilemma of how do you kick out a friend? She wasn't just a squatter. She was also my best friend at the time, but oh. she wasn't paying rent. And all my family was like, when is she going to move out? She's taking advantage of you. Wow. So. Like what would... <laughs> When did you get really fed up with it? And where you're like, man, how do I approach this? Like, well, because I couldn't write. She was always right there. And I told you I'm a writer. I was working right. on finishing my first novel. So 
I would just be sitting there trying to write and I could hear her like I'm like three feet away from me on her inflatable mattress, like watching Friends or Gilmore Girls. And she'd be like, oh my God, babe, this show is so great. (laughs) Yeah, it's been out since 2001. We know about it. (laughs) And I would always just like try to leave the house to escape, but she was just kind of like, she had no life yet. So she was like, babe, what are we doing today? And my friends and family were kind of like, hey, has she paid rent yet? And I was like, no, 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 no. And they're like, girl, you're broke. You can't afford to like subsidize someone else's life. And at the time, like she was so broken. Then finally she was like, babe, I have a way of getting money. I'm actually a stripper. Do you know any good strip clubs that are hiring? So that's when I I took her, she became not only just my squatter friend, but my stripper squatter friend. (laughs) So next thing I knew she was back in the pole at New York Dolls in Tribeca. So... I know. And then the stories just got increasingly crazy. It's like, oh my God, she'd come home every night with like, oh my God, strippers are crazy. One of them tried to get me to do cocaine in the bathroom. I'm like, but yeah. you do, she's like, probably, but <laughs> <laughs> can I say cocaine on your podcast? You can say anything on here, literally. Can I say fuck on your podcast? Yes, you can. Fuck. Thank God. It's my kind of cast then. Cause that's this one of my is. I mean, have you been on other ones where people are like, don't say that, don't say that. Yes. And I've been on the local news for my, my book release Mm -hmm. and I I just keep it squeaky clean, you know, Disney G rated. I'm like, Oh my God, my book is great. And I (laughs) I don't mention any of the drug use that was done. I'm like, it's just a memoir. Oh no. See, see, there's there's a problem with that though. Cause it's kind of like, it's not really you then, you know, it's, I know it's not really you censorship. Right. You're self-censoring yourself. And then people are like, oh, this seems like a wild book. And then they're like, well, she doesn't seem like that's the case. You know, that is I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, I come from a very nice like Irish family. Everyone, everyone but my mother is still practicing Catholic. So when I started to write these essays and put them up on my social media, there was always like the, oh my God, Aunt Pat is going to hear this because, my, you know, Mm. I have a nice I have nice aunts and they're all in their 70s. And I definitely struggled with what degree, like to what degree can I be honest about my experiences Yeah. and what should I kind of leave out? And I just decided like, if it's going to have any chance of being good, I have to own everything I've ever done. So I just kind of like, I just had to put it out there and get past the cringe and just be like, if they want to read it, they can, if they don't, if they hate seeing me in the slide, they, they don't have to click <laughs> to read it. So, yeah, I think yeah. that'd be yourself. I mean, I think. We need uh, because I think that's the problem with what's happening is just like it's all the presentation of what's amazing. Like everything's amazing, but that's not oh, true. Like it's nothing's so that amazing all the time. I mean, yeah, it's, it's so American. American. Yeah. I've had, yeah, I've had French and Russian friends. French and Russians are my favorite because they are so much more blunt and real. Yeah. Like if something sucks, they say it. They're like, sometimes it sucks. If, I, if I'm being a jerk, they'll be like, you're, you're being very immature in that moment. Doesn't mean I don't love you. You just... You sucked. They, they can say it to my face and like, we can that's still right. love each other, you know, I First, get that. Like, I grew up in Europe too, like partially. So I was like, I was born in Germany and I just, there's just some more directness about it. Yes. But, uh, it, but, but by being direct, they're not canceling you. They're not saying oh hell no to all of you forever. They're just saying in this moment, I didn't agree with it. Yeah. I, I just, I'd, I'd rather do, I teach my daughter that I'm like the other day, she was like, let me down on something. I said, yeah, you let me down. And she was like broke, broken up by it. I said, but that happens in life. It doesn't change who you are to to me. It's It's just this moment is how it is. And, you know, you had some very real moments in this and what you're telling me. So like, so wait a minute, she's stripping, but then she's not paying still. No, she didn't. 
Um, Come on. We so I break here. I'm gonna hold up the book. Put Talk up about the book. Owning your stuff. I put my. This is the pill bottle because I was dealing with an Adderall addiction at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing we bonded over. But um, yeah, so we. I I own everything that we did in this. Like there's like some instances even of like I dabbled with you know I dabbled with some sex work just yeah. to see what would you know what if that was a viable form of income for me or like what. Yeah how can I make ends meet? How can I be a writer and, you know, still pay my rent and just exist? Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't figure that out. Um, but yeah, so this girl, this is why we found each other because she couldn't, she couldn't make her life happen either. She was a yoga instructor slash stripper, but she couldn't get a job <laughs> at the yoga studios. So she got back in the pool and yes. Yeah, so once she started stripping again, I kind of was casually like, well, she is working, she's stripping. And I felt very protective over her. And my family was just kind of like, well, why is she stripping? Why isn't she contributing to rent? And then there was this one night I mentioned where she had kind of like this, um, uh, deuce at mash in a moment where she, some older gentleman gave her $1,300 in cash. And it was kind of a great, uh, retribution moment. Cause I was at, at this point, I was like three months behind on rent and she just like gave me like 250 bucks towards the rent, which was really nice. So that was a moment of retribution. So we had some ups and some downs with it. Yeah. I mean, you would think you make, you got that amount of money. You yeah. just give somebody like 400 bucks or something like that. You know, <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> Look, she's a career. This girl is interesting. She's, um, She's like, I think she's like one of those career, like since flying by the seat of your pants, yeah. kind of like a little bit of, got a little side of swindler to her. Like she's a survivor. So, yeah. you know, sometimes I wondered, I wrote in the book, I was like, she's always telling me she's broke, but somehow, but like, I think she might've had like maybe some mon- money coming in from Papa. Sure. You from know? Papa. <laughs> like, yeah. It was but, a sugar daddy situation. It was like. No, her actual Papa back in Oh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I was, I had a different mindset here. It was a different mindset. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, she's like a, like, a, she's just like a survivor. Like last I heard, she's um, working as a, a flight attendant. Wow. And she, yeah, I know she's somewhere in Dubai. So that, you know, okay. when you wind yeah. up in Dubai, you know. That's an interesting lifestyle though. Like, I mean, I've known a few people like that who just kind of, they're like wanderers, you know. Yes. And they're, they're yes. like wandering souls and their life is, that seems like a very, it's somewhat exciting, but also stressful. Yeah. Uh, existence. I know. And so we called each other gypsies at the time. Yeah. And what this friend and I bonded over was I was 29 and everyone else around me, you know, that, you know, you know, life, everyone's getting married, mortgaged, pets, engaged. And I was doing none of those. I was just trying to finish my book and survive. And that's the bond that I saw in this person. It's like, oh, she's a fellow gypsy because something if you're owning it together with another person, it feels so much less destitute. And I felt so much less lonesome when I had someone else to link up, you know, in our desti- shared destitution together. So she was like my partner in crime in that. So gypsies, like that was the identity that we were owning at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't know where our next drink's coming from, but we're going to own it. You know, <laughs> we're not like everyone else who's just yeah. like, you know, work at a salary job. That, that ain't us. That's not for us. No. Yeah. <laughs> what was dating like in this situation? I was actually, I'm going to be honest with you. I was practicing celibacy at the time. Wow. So I had, I'll just share. I, um, Do I it. wrote this book. Yeah. Let me write it rip. So I had a thing with a fuck boy and in, in that, that spring. And he was just like this, this, the boy I went to high school with, who was the hot bad boy. 
like I said, like he was kicked out of school. Like he wound up, he went to, he went in the army. He was hot. He was badass. He always had that like whisper of like glamorous danger about him. Yeah. So I was always intrigued. He started hitting me up over Snapchat, over instant, over like Facebook for, you know, uh, he started doing it like over and over, but I could tell he just wanted a sexual encounter. So he, cause he would never ask me anything about myself. He would just be like, Hey, um, Hey, so uh, what are you doing later? You want to stumble home and have, you know, after a few drinks, then I'd be like, eh, he's just, you know, he's just looking for, he's just looking for a quick and easy life. So finally one night I was feeling very low. My little brother had just got engaged, which is great for him. But like, I was feeling like, Oh, my little brother's engaged and where am I at in my life? Right. So I answered his text and I was like, you know what? Just come over. Let's just get this over. Let's just do it. So I had him come over. And as it turns, and as immediately after the encounter, he deleted me off all social media. And I found out he had a girlfriend of two years. Whoa. So I, I was just so put off from the whole male dating experience. I decided just like, okay, we're taking an informal vow of celibacy. We're just going to focus on our writing. Um, I'm kind of, I don't know what I want for men. I enjoy a, like a little, like I feel them. I enjoy a little male validation here and there, but I, I can't, I'm not on the market at all. So I went into my shell, but I write in this book that Bushwick was a great place for a straight girl to be celibate because it is a place unlike any other. Um, we would go out to bars and I'm so used to like, just if, you know, if you look nice and you sit at a bar, someone's going to offer to buy you a drink eventually. But in Bushwick, it's just like this weird forest of like, um, non, non-gender conforming people, like trans, like trans, like a lot of trans people. And I did not get hit on the entire time I was there. So I don't know what the guys were like after it was just like a whole different social experiment because they didn't conform to my ideas of masculinity at all. And I just kind of, it was like a good plate time for where I was in my life, but it was just like an interesting experiment at the same time. Like they're almost like some like asexual, like kind of like the weirdos, like it's like a neighborhood that attracts a lot of like kind of um unconventional energies and conventional energies that's a different yeah, way, that's the best way i could think of to put it so definitely like the like there was i've never encountered one single cis male while i was there so wow i know bushwick is weird let me just tell you like i had no clue i, I can't even explain it. I mean, there's no place like it wow how long did this celibacy last honestly it lasted for about three years it's a long time it is a long time. You're basically and a nun during that time. I mean, like, yes, well, I still enjoyed like male attention, you know, cause I, I do, that's something I do struggle with. I say it's one of my addictions is male validation. Really? Um, like, what is it? Well, tell me what that means. Like, let's go in depth about that male validation. Yes. So, um, I kind of was a little bit of an ugly duckling. I had a little bit of a makeover when I was 17. So classic. Uh, I lost about 20 pounds. I started going to the gym and I discovered how to straighten my hair and wear makeup. And from then on, like I could feel like male attention. I'm also very tall. So like, I think that when I walk into a room, like, you know, when you're taller, you tend to, you know, your focus tends to go to you. So, and um, I would just feel like the eyes of men on me. And it was very, it was like an elixir. Like it was extremely um, intoxicating. And even if it's the weirdest thing, I always say, like, I feel like I'm an animal in the wild. Cause even if I don't want the man to talk to me, I still feel, if I feel his eyes on me, I still 
I, there's some part of me that wants a little bit of his attention, mm -hmm. but even if it's like, oh no, no, I, I don't need, I don't need you to talk to me. I just wanted to feel your eyes on me. Like that is a big, I know it's weird, but um, this is, this is something that I almost didn't realize about myself until I started writing about it. It's like how much I run on those types of looks and that type of attention from strangers in public. And it was it, part of the celibacy period was to look inward and be like, oh my God, you run on this shit, girl. Like, <laughs> what is that? What is that doing for you? And I'm like, I can't even explain it. It just energizes me in this weird way. Like, even when I don't, I'm not trying to attract a partner or something, I still feel powered by those looks, you know? I never heard that from someone. That's interesting. Like, well, I like the honesty about, about it. Themselves. Yeah. You think more, you think more women have this idea about this, but they just don't talk about it. It has, I can't be the only one, you know, yeah. like I happen to be just because by virtue of being a writer, I happen to be an introspective person. I journal every morning and I'm willing to own every part of like my ugliness. And I'm willing to sit here and say like on a public forum, like, yeah, malvalidation. It's gives me this sort of electric charge that I can't even, it's, it's greater than Adderall and Jameson and all my other favorite drugs combined. And, um, I think that we are on some biological level. I think it's like an animal level because there's something in me that I notice that even if like, if I'm walking down the street, why do I unzip my jacket? Mm. You know, why do I, why do I, why am I trying to draw attention to my body? I didn't do it consciously. It's like an unconscious thing. Mm. It's like, almost like I'm an animal in a wild, like giving off this like sort of meeting call. Is that confusing? You think to other people, let's to say men. the male, yeah. <laughs> Gotta be nice about like, this, okay? You're like, as a man, you're like, as a man, you're like, I'm trying to respect women, and I'm being told like a woman can dress as she wants, but then again, she's giving off these mating calls. Like, what do where do I factor into this, right? I'm just trying to figure this out, man. <laughs> it is the weirdest thing, Dr. Darian, and I think that men and women haven't quite been able to have that very honest conversation yeah. where where it's like, I, you know, when I read articles about, you know, masculine and feminine and everything and like patriarchy, I see women like owning like their right to dress how they want, but I seldom see us owning the fact that male attention is, can be very intoxicating to us. Mm. And a lot of times, like, even if I don't want something to come of it, like if I don't want them, even if I don't want the man to approach me, I, his eyes on me does do something for me. And I could so see under, and understand how that's confusing for a man. And I'm sorry. Like there's, I think a lot of it is like just very purely biological. Mm. Um, and if I try to look, I mean, if I'm interested in man, I do want him to approach me. I try to like not give him confusing signals. Like if I like smile and engage and make eye contact, I accept I have a role in all this. Like if I make eye contact and smile at you and like, you know, we're at a bar and that's like a green light you know, versus, you know, if I'm not interested in attracting you as a potential, whatever, I might not like give you those sort of engaging signals. Yeah. It yeah. But it's just complicated. It's so hard. I feel like it's, it's so complicated. complicated. I don't know. I mean, I've been married for 18 years. It's been awesome. It's honestly been wow. awesome, but it makes me think of this Dave Chappelle comedy special. And he yeah. talked about this mm -hmm. and he was essentially, it's kind of like, Imagine like a cop, a person <laughs> wearing a cop's outfit and right. he goes, I'm not a cop, but I'm wearing the cop's outfit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it said, Hey, it's confusing. 
I'm not someone who's looking for sex, but I'm wearing something extremely sexual. It's like, it's confusing, you know, it's like. I totally get it. I feel for you. I have a lot of empathy for the masculine at this point. You know, I'm, my heart is very open to the masculine and the feminine. Yeah. I have a lot of compassion for men. And I, I think about this all the time. Um, well, the, the part of the thing is like, I might be trying to attract somebody, but maybe, maybe it's not you specifically or you specifically, maybe I am trying to attract somebody, but maybe like not necessarily everybody. Do you see what I mean? Attraction strange because I think people put out certain aspects about attraction that they, maybe they don't want to be seen that way, but they are being seen that way. Right. You know, it's weird. Like. But if you don't want to be seen that way, then like, why are you choosing to dress? Why do you choose? It's like if if I go out with my friends and stuff and you see people out there and whether it's any gender, whatever, if they're wearing something very provocative, you're going to think a certain thing about it. It just you just are. It's so true. Like if I'm at the gym and I see a guy that's totally ripped in a muscular tank, right? Like you want to be looked at. You want you want it right? Our girl's at the gym and she's wearing all this makeup and like just a bra basically and tight pants. It's like, okay, listen, the guys there are probably look thinking a very sexual thing about it. Like, (laughs) I'm just going to be honest about it. Why? I'm so glad you are. Seriously. Like nobody's like, oh no, I don't think about that. (laughs) I think we need to be more honest with each other. Look, since I, since I like had my little ugly duckling makeover, I've felt invisible before that. And now I feel much more visible. Yeah. And I guess I do like to be thought of as attractive by men, you know, and I'm willing to own that and admit it. And I actually don't hear, I don't think I ever hear women admitting it. Maybe they're too embarrassed to admit it. Maybe like Mm. it doesn't sound put them in a good light, but Uh, I notice, you know, I like it. It's okay. You should. I like that. You said that. Thank you. You see, you when we we're talking about my podcast, and I've talked to all types of people. Look at this little cat there. Oh, that's a pretty <laughs> She's cat. She's meowing. She wants attention too. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't want attention? Everybody wants attention. Come Everybody on. This is not a certain person thing. A lot of people want attention. All you know? mammals. Mammals <laughs> like attention. My dog wants right. attention all the time. It wants me to pet him constantly. <laughs> it's I like, know. right? I, I mean, yes, it's but- just how it is. But I talk to sex workers and stuff on the show. And, and I like when, like, I have this one uh lady her name is aubrey you should listen to that episode she's amazing okay. it's not a real name but she wants to be called that and she said someone called her a whore oh. and she said i know i am a whore she's like by definition what's, what's the big deal like she's like Wait, thank why you is that an insult? why is that an insult and it's i never problem. thought about it that way yeah like she's like that's not an insult so whatever you know. i gotta talk to aubrey someday because i have so many thoughts about this whole like sex work is work. And like, it's, that is another, look, you can go talk about that for three hours. You could. That is so, you know, I go back and forth between like when my friend was a stripper, is it empowering? Um, Who's, is she, is she like, is she a prisoner of the male gaze? Is she getting disrespected mm. by men? Well, you could argue, well, who won? Because she made $500 that night, you yeah. know? So who really won? But then I, you could also argue, look, I ultimately, do I find sex work empowering? I find it to be necessary 
here for how, trying to survive under cop capitalism. And I'm actually reading this book right now. You'd love it because I okay. could tell you're a curious soul. Yes. It's about, um, so apparently Japan has like the, one of the biggest sex work economies in the world. So I'm oh. reading about the whole culture. She, there, it's this woman, she's a researcher. She went and she interviewed a bunch of different women who are current sex workers in Japan. And just like kind of like getting to the heart of the circumstances that drove them there. And they're all for the most part saying things like, hey, look, I can make more money here than I could have at my job. And they're talking about like the certain particular economy of Japan mm. and how it's more set. It, it is at this time more oriented towards male success. Sure. They, you know, there is certain discriminatory practices there that like are, you're going to hire the male candidate because they don't want the women candidate because she's going to she could take off her maternity leave. She might not be as viable as a candidate. So they do still they still discriminate when favor more towards. So women kind of as a consequence of that they find themselves in this like other space that is then they're very kind of like they're heavily herded towards the space there's a whole economy built around it like people there are informational flyers going out to girls there's whole little magazines going out to girls they're passed out to girls on the street there's billboards in um very public uh squares trying to recruit young girls for this work and see i think i i think my, my argument to all of that is I, I do validate that if that was like, you know, you really wanted to do that and that was empowering for you. But I also do want to argue like, why, why do, let's get, look at the bigger circumstances of the economy that where a woman has to do this just to even have a chance, you know? And my argument to this is, is like, I never, as a writer, I always wondered like, well, why is the thing that I want to do not as heavily valued or like as financially lucrative as like the STEMS jobs? like the more left brain masculine jobs like science, technology, engineering, math, like why is that much such a more sound career than what I, as, what I wanna do, which is more like, I wanna read, I wanna write, I wanna connect with people. I, I feel as though I should be, my, my skill set and what, the value that I offer to the world, I never understood like why it wasn't equal. Why isn't, why isn't it worth $100,000 a year? Because in my view, it's worth much more than that, you yeah. know? So, it's a, such a broad conversation. Like I said, we could go three hours on it. Um, I think sex work is a circumstance of the current economy and per current like world of capitalism that we're in. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's very multifaceted. It is very multifaceted. And uh, yeah. I think I've, I've flipped on it over time. Like, I yeah. think in the past, I'd be like, why would anybody do that? You know, yeah. but the, then doing this podcast and talking, I had never talked to a sex worker before doing this right. podcast. You just, had it, you just knew it in theoretical. I just had it in my mind, right? But isn't that Your what idea. we do? We make up yes. our minds about something without actually opinion. talking to someone who does those things. Gosh. And is yeah. I'm not, and the one lady, Aubrey, she actually loves it. Like she's totally into really? it. I mean, I mean, these are crazy stuff. She told on the podcast, this is out there in the public that you know, on Christmas, yeah. she banged 13 guys one day on Christmas for her job. And I oh. said, wow, that seems exhausting. And she <laughs> said it was actually energizing. I was like, wow, I can't even that's like crazy. that's crazy. But she like loves it. She loves being a whore. She says that she like that's her words, not mine. I and love that. but there's people wow. who probably don't want to do it and they feel yeah. like they have to do it. So there's different sides. But you're right. You know, there's different. There's a nuanced conversation like most things. You're in, about in, it. Your individual personhood has to come into play and like your individual needs. For me, when I have sex, I release a ton of oxytocin. If I released 13 times the oxytocin for strangers on Christmas Day, I would literally be like 
borderline suicidal because I'd be so depressed. But like Aubrey's body is obviously built for it. She's obviously on doing what comes naturally. And she's, you know, she's got a gift. So she's given her gift, I would say. And she's not trying to do anything else. It's not like she's transitioning to something. She's like, oh no, this is what I'm gonna be doing forever. Like I gotta listen to totally into it. Oh, I've done two episodes with her. I've done two. She's so interested. I've done two with her. <laughs> like that is amazing. And did she ever have any other work before this? Has it been she or has it been her whole career? I, th- I think it's been her whole life, pretty much like adult life. Like she just doesn't care. She's like, this is what I like to do. Yeah, ex- it gets me excited. And I need you know, that perspective. She's got a bunch of regulars, and she's really into it. You know, like you can also argue, like, look, there's a whole population of the world of me- of men that are in cells, like involuntary celibates. You know, like what becomes of them? What becomes of the unlovable men that don't find partnership? And, you know, they're still lonely and they still have biological needs. And I would argue that like sex work is kind of like fulfilling that poor, that notion of humanity that wasn't able to find quite fit in with the society yeah. and still like letting them feel lovable in some capacity because they do deserve love, even if it didn't fit in the parameters of like the, you know, heteronormative, you know, yeah. marriage model or whatever. Um, what becomes of them and like sex work could be a nice little, you know, two margins meet in the middle sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think so. And it's also coming of age in a time where actually people are having less, less sex than ever, actually. I know I've read Have you that. heard of this wild. It's insane. Actually, the statistics are on. I've had several people like researchers on to discuss mm-hmm. this. This is like their area of research. Like I've got to listen to those episodes. I'm too. telling you, it's some doc, Dr. Tara. She's amazing. She actually teaches people. You know, Dr. Tara. Is it Dr. Tara Swart? Yeah. Uh, Sue. So, so it's it's an S. Yeah. Her last name is very long. Is she British? She is. Uh, she's an Asian woman, and is she. she te- huh. I'm sorry. Is she British? No, no, she's not British. She. Uh, okay. I forgot, she teaches at Cal State Fullerton, I think. Um, okay. And but she's hilarious, man. She's yeah. so funny. But she this is her research. This is what she talks to students about. And it's the research is very clear. Merit. It's almost a public health crisis. People are having so much less sex. It's unbelievable right now. So what do you I mean, what do you, I can listen to the episodes? But, uh, you know, in, in short, what what is it all attributed to? Uh, several things. One uh, that younger generations, uh, they have tremendous access to porn. That's what I've heard. Right. They have very unrealistic ideas of what sex is like, like real sex. Um, And then the the Gen Z population, millennials, they just um, they're they're, they basically their peak is like dating. Like they're so worried about having a date like sex is not even like it's like I just I'm worried about even getting a date. Yeah. Cause it's so hard to date people now too. Right. Or they, they look at sex as like, well, on the other side, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, I could have it. I mean, it's easy to just swipe with somebody and we can have sex. It's almost right. like, it's like a whatever thing, you know, right. Not that important. But sex uh, and partnership is on a decline is what we're saying. Yeah. Big time. Like huge. Like, so, you know what? I, I have no, nothing to back this up, Dr. Darian, but my thought is, you know, when the whole me too thing happened in 2017, mm. you know, I'm, I'm reading all this stuff every day. I gotta be honest with you. I became extremely wary of men. I was just like, I read report after report of all these men I respected who had just like using their power and influence to like, what I saw is like, you know, uh, take advantage of, of women who couldn't like speak up. 
And I became a little, that's part of the reason I became celibate. You know, mm. I just was like, I, what, I didn't know what I want. Like, can I trust men? Like, is this at the heart of every man? So I'm, you know, all the articles that I read that kind of emerged after like the post me too crisis, I wonder if men and women need a healing. Like, yeah. I feel like women are just like, still like, we're still mad as hell at men and the patriarchy and blah, blah, blah. I feel like we need to have more one-to-one -one conversations like this with like an enlightened man and like an open-minded, open-hearted yeah. woman to just, so we can come together and just be like, wow, this is your experience. You dress up in a certain way and I can't help but look, what does that mean? Okay. Maybe I do like a little bit of the attention, you yeah. know, like little one-to-one -one conversations. So we don't feel so far apart. Yeah. And I think uh, for, for guys, it seems like, again, I, I don't know this. I'm just projecting <clears throat> for guys. We're just it's, like philosophizing here. Yeah. We're just philosophizing. I want yeah. everybody to be, this is, I like to have a disclaimer here. I don't right. know. This we're is not, literally yes. just me type of <laughs> right. thing, but I think guys are also gun shy with, yes. with women too, is they're like, well, I don't know if she's going to perceive this as potentially. I agree. You know, me being, you know, it's am I a threat? Thing. Am so I a threat? I don't know where they so stand the, with women. Right. They're, they're, like, they're insecure Whoa. about it then. They're like, they're I don't like, know. Like, how do I hit on someone without them perceiving it being like a like threat? I'm a threat. I'm a menace. I'm going to harm you some way. So right now we're men and women are kind of at this weird standstill. Cause I notice, um, uh, I feel it too. Even when I'm out and about, like, you know, when I was a little bit younger and I don't, I don't think it's, I think this must be a factor. Like my friends and I, when we go out, like that lack of like people coming up and hitting on as much. I think it's post pandemic. So we're all like a little bit more socially awkward. Maybe it's the surge in porn. People are like, I could just go home and jack off. What's, right. the, you know, what's the point? But I also think it's that whole like post me too, like wariness of like, am I, a I don't want to be, be thought of as a monster because I approached a woman. I'm, I'm not a predator. And you know, what's they, they just don't know how to do it anymore. So yeah, I, I think feel you're for right. both sexes. We're in such a weird space right now. And we I think it's a weird space. I'm glad we're having these open conversations though. That's why you're important because it all starts with a conversation and then people get thinking, they hear it and they get thinking and they're like, wow, yeah. And they start to like look inside themselves and see where they are, that, that, that behavior is true for them. Well, I think that's important, especially like when I was, um, when I saw about your book mm -hmm. and I chatted with Abby and, you know, sending me the description, I was like, oh, this is great. Like hookup stories and different things yeah. like, we should talk about kind of the failures of, of dating yes. and stuff and sex and, yes. and, and just the reality, because I think we've had this thing of like, oh, sex people and hook it. People are just doing it all the time. It's actually the opposite. It's actually, do you know that on average, like couples have sex once a month? That's even if they're lucky, that's on oh, average right now. I didn't know that. And that's sad. That's, that is sad. And I think it needs to be examined because sex is like part of the, it's like the glue of a couple. It's like, yes. what do we, you know, Yeah. it it's, I think it's so important in a relationship. Most definitely. So it's, it's some things are coming to light. I feel yeah. like, and uh, I just like to talk about it. I'm like, mm, you know, I don't think you, I don't know if you realize how important those types of conversations are. They're like, they're everything because people think that they're all alone in that until yeah. you open up the, you take the lid off and you're like, Oh my God, I'm hearing this on this public forum. Holy shit. That's my experience. Yeah. Like the whole point of conversations and the whole point of writing for me is to give something, some give someone something. So they feel less alone. Like if I write about something and that happens to be someone else's experience and they have something else that they can hold on to, like my whole point of writing is so people feel a little less lonesome in their lives. 
Of course. So have you always been a writer? Is that something just deeply yes. within you? Yes. I believe that you're born with it. You, you, you're just a born writer. Yeah, babe. Yes, babe. That's yes, right, babe. babe. Yeah. Love that you caught onto the lingo. So I got bad. it. I got it. So I write in this whole book. I actually got rejected by a literary agent when I was 20 and being the sad little cancer that I was, I took it so personally. And from age 20 to 28, I did not write creatively at all. I mean, I wrote papers for my English major, but I didn't write any more stories. I was like, Oh, I can't. It's too much. The rejection is too much. I can't. My heart's too broken. <laughs> so, um, I went totally inward and I focused on like my real estate career. I got obsessed with different things like learning French, paleo baking, like my real estate career. And then finally, like, um, when my real estate career wasn't working out, I started like daydreaming about new stories. Like I had this new story I wanted to write. And as I would walk the streets, like of, uh, and I was in Manhattan at the time, I would start to think about the plot. It was, um, it was my first novel, actually. It was called, it's called Misericordia. It's about two uh, bourbon families in Kentucky and they're fighting. It's a Romeo and Juliet story, but they both have a bourbon distillery and they've been fighting for 50 years. And then the heir and the heiress fell in love. So I started thinking about all this, these plots and I was like, oh, but come on, I can't write. Like, it's such a big decision. To me, it was almost like deciding to like become a parent or something. Because it's like, if I write, then I... I'm taking it on. I'm, I'm committing. I have like to, I'm going to have to do it hours and hours of it a week. And then finally it was my 28th birthday. I told the whole idea for the story to this new, to, to a friend of mine. And she was like, you have to write that story. That sounds great. And so then I just found the courage and I just like carved out all the time I needed to do it. Cause it is a big commitment. Yeah. Like there's a reason that writers, a lot of writers are like, oh, I have a story inside me, but I haven't thought I haven't put it to paper. Like, cause if you were like, you're on or off, you can't, you can't just write like a sentence a week. Like you're either all in or you're not yeah. like you can't, it can't, I don't think it can be a halfway thing. So I, so I started writing that story and I, I had to say I've written, I've committed to, I've written almost every day since 2016. So wow. yeah, you're the, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Of course. So at this point, yeah, of course. Like anything, that's anything, so point, yeah, literally. anything, exactly. literally anything. I know. I know. And that's, that's the other part I'd like to say to any writer that's listening. Um, you are born a writer, but you do need to practice at it. So my writing, when I first picked it up again in 2016, it was just like, I could write maybe a paragraph at a time. And now I can easily write 1500 to 2000 words a day and it'll be like good quality. Good it'll stuff. Be yeah. Well, the ideas will be concise and tight and like, you know, it's almost mathematical. Cause like, it's like, oh, if I used an adverb here, that's three syllables. Let's use some like shorter words here. Like it's, it's so weird. It's so mathematical, but it's fun. It's like, it's like uh Lego, like putting Legos together. Yeah. Yeah. I could see so. that. No, I, I can tell also by like how you speak and the oh. different, like your vernacular and stuff. I'm like, oh yes, there's a yeah. lot of, uh, there's a lot happening here and the writing and how you present it. And you seem, you're just fun. Actually. I like fun people. I'm fun. You seem fun to me. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Bless you, honey. No, You're you seem too. like a lot of fun. I think that's to me being fun and being good at something is, is a, I was actually just telling my wife this other day. I was like, if someone's not fun, it actually almost bothers me. Like, it's yeah. just like, like being boring is not good. It's just not good. It's true. <laughs> like, well, Look, here's the thing. If someone is boring, they might be seeking out your company because you are fun and they're seeking out something that's not in themselves. So it depends on what kind of boring person we're talking about. If they're laughing at your jokes, 
and they're supporting you. And like, they're like, Hey, you know, do your weird thing, write your weird book or like, Hey, you're, you're, you dyed your hair a little yeah, yeah. front, and they're supporting it. Then they're, they're not boring, but if they're boring and they're an oppressor, that's when I'm like, I won't text you back. But what if, you know, but like, what if you're talking to them and yeah. they're laughing at your stuff, but they have literally nothing to add to anything. Oof. I mean, that seems pretty boring to me. It is I mean, a little dull. I gotta, I right. Gotta you never that. had that on a date. Somebody and you're like, wow, there's not much here. Like, you know, guess what? That was our first day and it was also our last day. <laughs> Look, but I can still appreciate their humanity. They just sure, might not of course. be a partner or they might not be a partner or friend for me, but it's like, oh, I see what you're doing out there in the world. Go on, go on. You're fine. Yeah. But, Do boring yeah. people know they're boring? Yeah, I don't. Oh, shit. Do boring people know they're boring? That is such a good question. I don't think they do. <laughs> <laughs> You because th- they they think when they're like rambling on about their topic, yeah, they think like, oh my god, I'm no, interested. No, like I, I I've known like a lot of boring people in my life throughout my. I'm 44. You meet a lot of people, especially it's like, I don't yeah. know. Do they know that they're boring? Like they, I, don't know. I wonder that is or not so interesting. Do you know if you're not interesting? Well, I can tell when someone's eyes are glazing over, and <laughs> I think that conversation is a is a waltz, you know look, you're interviewing me, which is so kind of you to give me the platform. But if yeah. you and I were in conversation with each other in a normal conversation, I might babble for a little bit. And then I'd be like, what about you? Tell me more about your childhood in Germany. Yeah. Like if it's, it's all one-sided and you're literally just monologuing at somebody like, let me just say it right here. And now I'm a bartender and a writer. That's not the way to someone's heart. You have to like show a little curiosity, like right. listen and, and talk and listen and talk. It's it's really a waltz. Like ask more questions is the one thing I wish I could tell the entire world. Like curiosity is key. Yeah. I just you know? really think that like, <laughs> you know, when if you observe human behavior, right? Yes. And you observe attractiveness in someone and you observe yeah. kind of the the confidence in someone. What's you know, the X factor? Yeah. What's the there's an X factor there. Right. And I just think like, what's the self-awareness? Yes. Like, you know, great. like if you like, I don't know, I have you ever heard someone tell you, hey, Carson, I don't really yeah. think I'm a very interesting person, but I'm really trying at it. Like, who says that about themselves? No, it'd be so it'd be so attractive. If it would be enlightening, though, to hear that. Oh, really? Right. You don't think you're interesting? Like, you know, right. The one thing I do know, because whenever, because I told you I'm a bartender right now. Yes. So whenever I get people monologuing at me and like telling me their whole life story, like I'm kind of doing to you, what a hypocrite, but <laughs> <laughs> different. it's a different kind. This is a different form, you know, it's a different forum. But when I get someone monologuing at me and about a topic that like they can see my eyes are glazing over and everything, I always try to remind myself, like they think that they're, they're doing whatever they know how, whatever they know best to try to be loved and interesting. Like everyone wants to be loved. They're just confused about how to get there. Mm. And that's just one thing I know for sure. So like to me, you and me, like, it's so obvious, like emotional intelligence and reading people's facial expressions and seeing when they're tuned in and glazing over and like engaged, like that to me, obviously that comes more naturally to you and I get it too. You get it a hundred percent, but I feel, but there obviously are people out there that can't read those cues. And I, I feel for them. And maybe they're not on the path towards self-improvement. Like you and I are, we're curious, we're asking questions, we're, we're, we're mixing it up with other people. We're going deeper. We're like learning things yeah. about other wake walks of life. But I, you know, not everyone's doing that. I mean, people are in certain patterns of just like 
going through their daily grind and coming home. But I do know those people are looking for love. They just don't haven't figured out. They haven't read yeah. a self-help book or figured or like open the door to like, okay, what other way can we get to it? But that's true. Like, why don't you just like say, I'm looking to be interested. I'm looking to improve myself because there's nothing more attractive than just- That's being- really attractive, right? If somebody <laughs> tells you about their flaws, they're like, listen, this, oh, I'm not that, ex- I'm not like that exciting mm-hmm. or I'm not the funniest person, but I feel like I want to be. You know, know, like, man, everybody's going to be into that. They're like, oh, wow, they're they're aware of like this, you know, because we all love vulnerability, right? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, think about your book, right? Okay, so like people send me a lot of books. Not all of them are good. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) but do you know that? Do you know, like when you're writing something, Mm -hmm. you have to think, right? Well, people think this is interesting or how you write it, right? So. One thing that was helpful to me is like, I wrote these in essay form and I would publish one on social media and I would see what kind of feedback I got. And I could look at the reads, like some of them would be like, okay, I, I could see like 33% like opened it, but didn't finish the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, maybe Car- Carson, maybe I that's see. something that's interesting to you, but not everybody, <laughs> not publishable content. So like, I, I think that it's important to kind of go with the feedback you're given because no one's going to ever tell you you suck, but pay attention to what people compliment you on. If people are like, you know what I mean? You are so good at listening. You know, you're probably good at listening. Like if people are, if no one's giving you positive praise about your or good feedback about your podcast or like your recent episodes, you know, maybe it's not resonating with the human narrative and that's okay. You know, it's all series of adjustments. It is a series of adjustments. And yeah, I, I think, it may be really hard in writing a book because it's a very kind of static process, a one-way process. Someone's reading something and then you're like, well, it's not like you're talking to the author as you're reading it. Like what happened here? Like, you know, like, and I often like when the author writes from a a place where it's very quippy, it's fun. Like it feels like, Oh really? (laughs) Look, I, I, I wrote this book. I say it. And I'm like, I wrote this book for the person with the shortest attention span possible yeah. me. So you're going <laughs> to love this. Like, I, I feel like, look, I wrote it. The, I wrote at the start. I was like, look, we're in the TikTok era. We're yeah. in the era of like quick and easy information. So I, I feel like I, I wrote this book trying to accommodate that. Like mm. my first book was about 415 pages. That's a lot. It was a brick, you know? Yeah. And I had a lot of people that bought it, but not everyone finished it. Probably only half the people finished yeah. it. Yeah. So like this book of essays, what I'm hearing about it is people like that they can take a bite of it and put it down or like take a bite and put it down. Like it might be more uh, suitable to the cur- our current attention span, which let's yeah. be honest, it's like 90 to 180 seconds. Yeah. So, yeah. I like that. Now, are, yeah, do you have on. an audible version of this? So let me tell you something. I started to record one and then... So I'm working on getting a publisher right now. So I published this through Amazon. I self-published Yeah. and I have found a literary agent who's trying to find me a publisher. We submitted to publishers and she recommended that I pull, I don't do an audible instead. Oh, interesting. So I cut the voice deal. I, you know, she was already, she was only one chapter in, but I, 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 you know, I said, no, we're not going to do that. So right now what, where I'm at, and this is for you as much as any other writer who happens to be listening, um, uh, so where I'm at is I self-publish and now we're shopping around for a big house publisher. That means mm-hmm. it's somebody who like, you know, one of those hatchet or, sure. you know, and what the hope would be that they republish it. Cause right now I'm only 
the only people that know about me are local. I haven't, I don't have mainstream distribution. I'm not going to be on the shelf at Barnes and Noble as a self-published yeah. author. Um, you can buy the book on my website, on Amazon or through me directly. But my goal is I want to be a, I want to be um, a Barnes and Noble author. I want to be, yeah. my dream would be to have my books adapted into like an Amazon series. Like sure. I want to go, I want to go big with this. I thing. like it. I, I dream pretty big with my literary career. So I think it's important to say that because you have people listening who have written a hundred words and don't know what their career is going to look like. Um, they don't know what the publishing industry, because I know I was always confused. I was always like, oh, I want to be a big box author, but I don't know how to get there. So my story, I'm someone in the middle right now who's who's wrote a lot and who's picked up a lot of traction and heard a lot of good feedback. And I've heard from people, no, you're a writer. You, this is what you're meant to do. And I believe it. I'm just like right here in the middle before, and I'm hoping to get, yeah. The t I want to be like a Jenny Han or like someone mm -hmm. who's, you know, wrote books and then had them adapted to series. And like, now they're on the today show talking about their series. Yeah. So that's so right. But right now I'm in the middle. Right. You're in the middle. I've, I've yeah. caught you in the middle. Right you, did. <laughs> you did my dear you did and i'm so happy to be here though it's 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 beautiful well this this has been really fun actually i it's always fun for me i don't know oh that's so nice i'm so glad you wanted to have like somebody on who like you said this book is a lot you're gonna read it because i'm gonna send of this course to i know you're sending it to i'm gonna read it yeah i'm gonna read it i think you're fun i hope that it's also fun reading <laughs> it because you seem fun but like you said, you wanted to, I think you wanted to showcase somebody who's going to talk about um, dating honestly, or like hookups, honestly. Yeah. Um, a lot of the depictions I find that we get of dating are like the Hallmark grade movie or like, you know, yeah. there's, you know, some, or a rom-com or some, one person's chasing the other all the way through to the airport gate. And it's <laughs> like, what about the times like you meet someone on Tinder and you meet for a drink and you make out and like, you never hear from them again. Yeah. Or you ghost them. Like, what about all the in-between shit that like actually comprises our human experience? I think that's 80% of it experience. probably. I mean, it's like most of it, you know? That's most, that's 90% of it. I don't see enough depictions of that, of like yeah. how it is. Like sometimes you never see people again. Right. You know? <laughs> a lot of times you know so I there's nothing there's just honesty and fun in my books like there's no I haven't romanticized anything I've just told it like my experience as it was yeah. I talked about the fuck boys I talked about right. like, disillusionment I talked about me ghosting guys and feeling yeah. like really guilty about that sometimes yeah so you know I just think it's better for you like you know when you put yourself out there. It's your work and you have yeah. to be honest about your work. And I think these type yeah. of formats where you talk, like, I want people to know the author of whatever yeah. they're doing. Like not the book is like one version of you, but like hearing you talk about you. Right. It's like, I think one of the better compliments someone told me about like their book was coming out and I had talked with them yes. and they said, do you know what the best part is? You never asked me about my book really. You just talked about me. And I was like, that is so nice. That's they'll so true. read the book. They'll read the book. But this is about you. Who are you? Who was the author? Aww. Dr. Yeah. Darian, that might be your X factor. Cause I'm sitting here thinking this is a good conversation and it's going a lot differently than any of the other interviews I've done. Of course. I've done stuff on the news and stuff. And it's always like, what inspired you? Oh man. You know, <laughs> but like, I, I like that you gave me a little bit of a voice here. A lot of bit of a voice. Yeah. 
because a lot of times I read a book and I'm goddamn curious about who the fuck, who the fuck was that person that put together all like orchestrated this entire experience I just had. And what that, like, where the hell, how did they get these ideas? And like, who are they and what form their experiences? And where are they from? And what was their childhood like? And, you know, so the book didn't just drop from the sky. You know, it came through, it was, yeah. came through a particular channel and I want to know the channel too. Sometimes there's a story. There's like, I, my whole thing is going behind the curtain and looking and see what, how is it actually made? Yeah. Who is this person? And yes, that's like my whole thing is like approaching people and be like, who is the person behind? Like the real person. Who's the real something? Cause that's, that's a good story. Yeah. And everything for a writer, everything is like, your book is essentially like a freaking quilt of your experiences. Yeah. Like when I, I wrote, like I put on a play this year and the characters, like part of their time is in Paris. Yeah. Part of their time. Um, you know, one of them works at Bath and Body Works. It's all a quilt of my own experiences at the time. Yeah. Like I went to Paris this year and I was writing the play while I was there, you know, like I worked at Bath and Body Works last year over Christmas and I put that in the play. So like, it's really interesting. Like your work of art is just like, it's a quilt of your experiences, every com- like conversations you've heard, strangers you've overheard in public, um, your friends, like, it's just like this melange. And I always say there's yeah. no such thing as fiction, you know? No, it's isn't. everybody's presenting something. Mm-hmm. My whole goal is like, I want to know what's behind the presentation. I love that you're going there because not most interviewers aren't. No, it's too surfacey. It's like, tell me about chapter two of this book. (laughs) I'm like, what was, you know, tell me. It's like, eh, all right, I can read the book. Anyways, what about you? Like, who are you actually? Like, like Honestly, Dr. Darian, not many people have given me that platform. Really. So I, I really, this is a gift and it's so nice because I'm, I'm hearing myself say things that like, I've never spoken aloud. Sometimes they're like feelings that are that they haven't fully yeah. crystallized until I just came out. They just came out of my mouth towards you. Yeah. And I've admitted a couple of things that I haven't even told my friends. So, yeah, well, you know, if you t- send it to them, they're going to hear it. All right. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I got to own it. It's real. Just own it, man. Don't don't you go know. back. Don't worry. Just it's going <laughs> to be what it's going to be. You know, it's going I'm addicted to male attention at times. OK, <laughs> OK. I mean, listen, you're honest about it. Let's just be just just deal with it, it. You know, Yes. <laughs> Oh, you are so sweet. Thank you for giving me this platform. And that. Yes. Oh, how about you? I mean, I mean, I know the episode's got to come to a close, but like, what? You were in, you were raised in Germany? Like, what the Yeah, hell? for a little bit of time. Yeah, I grew up in a military family, but uh, I have some ideas, actually. I want to talk to you off camera in a second. Let's get off camera. Okay. I want to talk to you about something real quick. All right. Okay, cool. All right. Tell everybody real quickly how to get the book and then we're we're done. Broke Babe in a Basement. It's on Amazon. And I love you if you buy it because you're helping to support me in my art. But I'm, I promise you, I'm going to give you a good experience and feel like you're going to see parts of yourself in this story. And you're going to, like I said, feel a little bit less lonesome in your dating slash life, relationship, career, trying to find your way, whole mess. And it's like, like it's behind the Instagram. It's like, what's really, you know, what really is all going on behind you know, your social media facade. So Perfect. take that journey with me. I'd, I'd love if you, if you would. All right, Carson McKenna, everyone. Thank Woo-hoo. you, Carson. Thank you, sir.